0: Welcome into this special crossover edition of the Locked on Reds and Locked on Rockies podcast. I am the co-host of Locked On Reds, Stephen Offenbaker. I'm joined by Paul Holden, who is the host of Locked on Rockies. And we are coming off a series that I'm sure leaves the Rockies fans very, very happy. While those of us in uh Cincinnati land here uh are a little disappointed after a couple games we feel like we should have maybe one got away from us. So we're gonna talk about all that. We're gonna dig into uh, the dudes that we're excited about, some of the guys that we might be a little disappointed with, and, and talk about the dreaded course field effect that has been bugging me all week. I can't wait to ask Paul about that. Of course, Locked On Reds and Locked On Rockies is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you've not done so, click the subscribe button. If you're watching us on YouTube, thank you. you see in our handsome faces. Make sure you click subscribe and the notification bell so you never miss when we post something. All right, Paul, let's dive into this thing. Uh, first off, were you surprised at uh, the offensive outburst in that final game of this three-game set that the that the Rockies came charging back and not only you know tied it up after falling behind five to nothing with Graham Ashcraft seemingly looking like he was going to go out there and toss a complete game, and then all of a sudden, eleven runs later, uh, you guys win the game and had didn't look back.
1: You know, yes and no. It, it's hard to tell because. The Rockies are really entering now what seems to be the third week of good baseball. It's a drastic difference from where they were at in April and how they started the season while dealing with a long list of catastrophic injuries to this club. It's not enough to make me sit here and say they're in, you know, everything's crazy, but that offense has been able to bounce back in games after being shut out or low offensive performances before. For example, Rockies are uh, shut out by the Mets in their series one to nothing. The Rockies go on to score 18 runs in the next two games. Pirates shut the Rockies out the Rockies go out and score 10 runs so this is a team that has been able to bounce back and have these big moments of offense something they were missing a ton of at the beginning of the season and what was great about yesterday's game from a Rockies fan perspective obviously a turnaround victory was awesome it's fun but it was led by the young guys. Michael Tolia gets things started there. And I believe it was the fifth inning where things got started. might've been the sixth. I can't mm-hmm. quite remember. It fifth, five,
0: but, five fifth. Yeah.
1: yeah. Right. Cause actually I, it was funny. I was about to go live and start doing my pod after the, after I was like, I'm going to watch the Rockies bat in the fifth and we're going to go. And we're going to talk about how they, you know, had an overall disappointing homestand. And, and then the run started pointing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to wait till we we'll see this thing out. So, There is still a little bit of surprise, but the surprise more comes from the bottom of the order getting the job done and the young guys, and that's a great surprise for the Rockies. Uh, But to be totally honest, Chris Bryant's been swinging a pretty good bat all year. Same with uh, Elias Diaz. So there's a couple of pieces there in the Rockies lineup uh, that I'm not too surprised they were able to come up clutch, but it's still so nice to see the Rockies come up and have those big innings, uh, which they desperately needed to, to have.
0: I want to talk about this course field effect for just a minute. I've been I've been beating this drum for several days now because I can't decide if I should be concerned about the Reds pitching staff more than I am or if I should cut them some slack. So tell me a little bit about this scoring in bunches. You know, Reds broadcaster Chris Welsh related a story on the, the Reds broadcast yesterday uh, talking about Don Baylor when he was managing in Colorado. And, you know, he said that for him, if a runner, if a, if a batter was in the on-deck circle, they were in scoring position. And I just feel like... It's both frustrating and exciting watching games in Denver because uh, there's, you know, games that you end up losing nine to eight, like the first game of our series here. And then other games where you're up five nothing and you lose 11 to five, just these run scores in bunches. Is do I need to be worried about our pitchers? I mean, you guys roughed up Hunter Green and Graham Ashcraft in the same series, uh, but it was out there in Denver. And I'm trying not to be an alarmist, but uh, it's a little concerning to me. You know,
1: there are things that are true about course field, and it is a difficult place to play. But people are so focused on home runs, the ball flying out of the yard and and the altitude. But what I don't think people realize is it's very hard to play good defense at Coors Field, especially for outfielders. I'd argue it's uh, in in one thing that isn't talked about enough in the Coors Field conversation. The focus is always on your pitchers. There needs to be more focus on the outfielders and how covering that ground, figuring out how to play that. The Rockies went out and got jerks and Profar so they could put Chris Bryan in right field because he himself admitted to how difficult it is to play in center field and a big X factor in this series, something that we really hope pays off is Brenton Doyle's defense in center field. He, him being able to make those diving plays. So I personally think the core's narrative is a little overblown, but it's also, you can't sit there and say that it isn't an offensive friendly ballpark and that it doesn't have its impacts, but my thing when 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 teams come in and i think they they want to f- think about how they their teams look like coming out of course field is how did your team play on defense in that series that's the a big key factor of where you need to look how was your outfield play in that situation because what people need to remember the rockies didn't do the damage yesterday with the long ball it was singles it was walks it was uh, and then and then doubles and hits in the gap because those doubles in the gap uh, are you know those are deadly, those will clear the bases. And same with uh because what you I heard on my broadcast outfielders have a tendency to play very far back at course field because it's course field and that's how it happens. But that allows you to have Chris Bryant lash two singles into shallow center field and, and, and into the shallow outfield. So when you're breaking down and thinking about a course field series, I think it's a bigger di- I think you'd be more worried if you're a division rival, if you, if you struggle a lot at course field, you can, when you're the reds and it's one series, you can kind of just throw your hands up. I think just like the Rockies when they go to, to other areas, Um, but yeah, so when you're breaking down your course field mindset or your post course field series about your team, I think it's way more than just how did your pitching staff perform? It's how did your outfield play and how did you handle, uh, getting runner, getting people out in situations, uh, that, that they needed to Charlie Blackman got things started with scoring by walking that what, you know? And, and so those things add up quickly at course field and the worst thing you can do is give up walks. That's the big yep. factor. You need to look there.
0: It, it's funny that you talk about the, the outfield play. Cause I did spend some time talking about this uh, on my show yesterday. Uh, it seemed to me a lot of those plays, you know, as you say, they dropped into this no man's land that is just created by where the outfielders have to play in that outfield because it's just so large. I I can think of several hits through the fifth and sixth inning there where all of those runs were scored that were probably out in any other ballpark in major league baseball. And, and I remember, but I'm not using that as an excuse because listen, the reds have played abysmal, at Coors Field. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, one of our, the Reds beat writers, Mark Sheldon, reported yesterday that since 2002, the Reds at Coors are 23 and 45, and that is the worst winning percentage of any team in Major League Baseball that's played more than 20 games at Coors Field. So we just don't play well there. Uh, <laughs> regardless of what year, what team, who's playing, Votto's here, Votto's not there, it doesn't matter. We can't win in Denver. It's a tough
1: place to play. It really is. and But it's, it, people got to remember they have there are things that tackle the course field effect but the biggest strength the Rockies uh have and they actually haven't been that great at home to start this season and really last year as well i think they were above or below 500 or very close to being uh, there last season. They're currently, I think after this series, I think they're at or one game below 500 at home uh, this season. Now, it needs to be the strength of the Rockies because it needs to be annoying for people to come. I preach, you know what? Stop trying to figure out Coors Field. Start weaponizing it because you play half your games there. Make it a pain. Guess what? You know what? You might not always figure out how you're going to handle the Dodgers conundrum or this or that in their lineups but just make it abysmal for them to come to Coors Field and play there because that's what's – with the Rockies being dominant at home were also big reasons why they made it to the playoffs, why they were one game away from winning the division a couple of years ago, and when they've had success, a big part of that reason is because no one wants to go to Colorado to play. And and like you mentioned, I mean – you got to take care of teams that don't come around to town that often and make it a nightmare. Cincinnati, with that record, and now since 2002, has to dread this trip every year, even if they have some success. And, and, you know, i got to tell you, they looked like they were coming out the gates hot. That was a fun Reds team to watch in, in game number one. And it's something that while we're seeing a little bit more with the Rockies, I'm excited by the Reds because it looks like there's life, there's speed, there's youth there in some areas, which is really exciting.
0: Oh, and there is. And in fact, that's where we're going to go next. We're going to get into all that. We're going to talk about the youth of the Reds. We're going to talk about the youth of the Rockies. And we're going to do that coming up in just a minute. But before we get into that, I want to tell you about one of the sponsors of today's podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Bird Dogs. Uh, Listen, the moment I put on my first pair of Bird Dog shorts, I knew they were just a little bit different. They give you that lounge shorts feeling, uh, but they look like a pair shorts that you could wear out to an event or maybe even out on a date they're just so comfortable and and so good fitting and good looking you've got to try bird dogs they are so light and soft you'll almost feel like you're not wearing anything At all, Go to birddogs.com slash locked on MLB and enter the promo code locked on MLB to get a free custom bird dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on MLB for the most comfortable pair of shorts that you are ever going to own. I'm telling you, you can wear these things golfing. If you're a golfer like I am, you can wear these things just out on the town, wear them to the ballpark, wear them on a date, wear them often they are just so comfortable they are worth every penny head to birddogs.com locked on mlb today to order your pair the reds and the rockies were both off today they both get back into action on friday but you can catch all of those action on sirius xm radio just download the sxm app and search the words reds or rockies depending on which hometown broadcast you want to hear all right, let's jump back into this, Paul. Uh, thanks for making uh, Locked On Reds and Locked On Rockies your first listens of the day, folks. Uh, make sure you've clicked those subscribe buttons. Make sure you're following us on socials. If you're on YouTube, you can see them on there. You can follow me at S. Offenbaker on Twitter. And you can follow Paul Holden at l. O. Rockies. That's Locked On Rockies, in case you didn't put that together. All right, Paul, let's do this. The The Reds you mentioned have a lot of exciting youth. Uh, there's a lot going on. As a matter of fact, we had two Players make their major league debuts out in Denver in this series. First, Matt McClain comes up big, gets a a hustle double for his first major league hit in that first game of the series. Brandon Williamson starts the second game, and you know, uh, he has had struggles. In the minor leagues, Uh, he's had a real difficulty with his strikeout to walk ratios. And Jeff and I talked about this on an earlier episode this week. Uh, You know, not a big ask at all. Hey, kid, come up, come out to Denver. We're going to start your first game. And yeah, you're going to be starting at Coors Field against a Rockies team that can score runs in bunches. And, you know, we trying to set the plate for our listeners to not overreact based on the results they saw from brandon williamson in denver because we thought it was going to be bad but he was great he's got the only win of the series and you know i don't know if that's a product of your hitters hadn't seen him or didn't know a lot about him but it was great to see a young pitcher come up in denver and have that kind of success
1: yeah it's it's uh, it's the rockies love making people have their debuts look wonderful especially of course i swear there's just i feel like i've watched like three people. I, Joe Musgrove dominated them. at Co- I think it cores uh, when he debuted. There's been a few people that have just dominated Rockies in their debuts, but that's what gives teams like the Reds and Rockies excitement. You know, on the flip for me, Brenton Doyle and the young Brenton Doyle goes off and has an, an incredible performance in that first game. He hits the two big home runs. That's the reason to watch it. it and people might sit there and scoff at a Reds-Rockies series, but you're kind of looking at exciting players of the future, where you're hoping that these two teams are going to be fighting each other for you know maybe wild card spots, maybe National League playoff positions, and it's going to be led by these guys. And as scary as Coursefield is, that's the other thing. Everyone's got to be feeling good in Cincyland that the young guy goes in there and not only pitches well but dominates.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking real forward to see his next turn through the rotation because quite honestly, uh, the line that Hunter Green put up in the first game is more of what I expected from Williamson. And that first game, Hunter Green only managed to go four innings. He allowed six earned runs on nine hits. He did strike out eight, but those two home runs, you know, those were the those were the death of him, basically. And you know I, I was surprised at how you guys were able to light Hunter Green up. You know, he is the presumed ace of the staff. Uh, There is some argument for Nicoladolo, who's out injured right now. But Hunter Green got the big extension. The Reds have already committed to him, to keeping him around for a long time. And so he's the guy you expect to to go out there and win that first game of a series. Uh, Were you as surprised as I was at the way that the Rockies hitters were able to get to him? Yeah,
1: especially because in in uh, series openers lately, the the Rockies have certainly fallen flat when it comes uh, to to offense and uh, just winning them in general. the The Rockies haven't won a series. It's been three series since the Rockies had won a series opening game. The Rockies actually were able to to win most of those series or or, or split. Um, like I said, a, a good stretch of Rockies baseball continuing, but. You know, I I think this is a team that's feeling more confident in itself and having a little bit more of of an identity for itself, uh, especially when it comes to offense. Uh, I think the Rockies really welcome the challenge of, hey, you're a great pitcher but you're in our neck of the woods. That is one thing, even when the Rockies have struggled at home over the year, it seems like it's the random pitchers that, uh, that come in and just have some great success. But then when, when some of the big names come to town, it's a different story. And, and I, I think that's a strength for the Rockies. Um, I don't know. I, I think this is a team that you can say has underperformed in some ways, but it's also that game was a reminder of of the downfalls of the Rockies. That's a four run lead for the Rockies. That's uh, you know basically it's it's cut in half uh, or more than half there in the top of the fourth when it becomes a four three ball game. Uh, Their back to back innings, the Reds score and uh, the Rockies offense does bail them out there, but the Reds were able to stay in that game. The, you know, plenty for, for, and hang on and, and make sure that they were making an impact. And that's the big concern there overall. I mean, the offense, I'm starting to become less concerned about it's now this pitching depth and lack thereof. That's really concerning because the Rockies injury list, especially when it comes to pitchers is very long.
0: Yeah, the Reds find themselves in a similar situation with uh, Nick Lodolo going down for at least a month. You know, what we thought was going to be a semi-strength of this team in the big three, as we call them, Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, and Graham Ashcraft, suddenly we find ourselves with pretty much three rotation spots open, the bullpen completely overworked. And watching you guys a little bit, uh, that bullpen fatigue, I think, has to be a concern in Colorado like it is in Cincinnati. You know, the Reds have decided to go with a, a bullpen day on Friday against the Yankees, and we'll, we'll get into the, the upcoming series here in the third segment. But how do, how do you handle not overusing a bullpen, playing 81 games in a ballpark that scores so much runs and really lends itself to needing... A lot of relief appearances. It almost feels like playing 81 games at Coors Field. The the Rockies should have some kind of special exemption from the commissioner to carry 14 or 15 pitchers.
1: You know, it's it's been a, it's a testament to the fact that the Rockies starters, who unfortunately that's the, the uh, and two of them in particular, Herman Marquez and Antonio Cenzatella, they can get you six innings. They can be, maybe even get you seven. Herman Marquez especially, um, and and Kyle Freeland as well. There are three, three out of more often than not, three out of five members of the Rockies rotation have been able to go deep enough into ballgames. That is allowed time. And the Rockies have some, have better veterans this year. So they're a little more willing to turn to their bullpen as opposed to last year where they were one of the, if not, I think up there with one of the worst bullpens in all of baseball, they, they have some veteran presence there now of, of some great waiver wire pickups. Brent Suter, uh, who you all have seen a, a lot just the you know brewers let him go and the rockies perfect exactly what the rockies needed uh there but they also have been uh hampered by some issues um and and you kind of saw it pierce johnson has been uh given close opportunities and he's been successful enough but the cracks are starting to show there so the rockies really need daniel bard to build up that uh the mental strength because that's what he is recovering from right now is uh his his injury time on the injury list this year was anxiety so he needs to build up his confidence and his mental strength so he's he can get back into that closing role for the Rockies because I think they're going to need him. Uh, you got to weather the storm and you got to win the nine eight ball games that we had. It, that, you have to win the ugly ball game at Coors Field because those bullpen games, the lack, the, the 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 depth, the, you know, all the question marks around the Rockies pitching staff in general definitely will come back and, and they are factors at Coors Field. But that's where you really do need that offense to come and back you up like they did in this series, uh, at least in two of three of the games.
0: You know, I love doing these crossovers because it gives me a chance to usually highlight one Cincinnati Reds player that I want to gain more national prominence. And so I like to talk about uh, one in each crossover. So that another market learns about a guy. And then I like to ask about a guy for the Reds listeners that are on this podcast today uh, to learn about a guy that maybe they didn't necessarily pay attention to, but they should know uh, that doesn't quite get the national recognition that maybe they should. So i want to start with one of your guys, cause I want to talk about black men for just a minute, because that guy just kind of just keeps on keeping on and, and, and is, is he a vocal leader or a quiet leader? Or is he just kind of, what's his game style? Because it's clear to me that, that he's one of the leaders of this team, uh, but doesn't necessarily, um, maybe play with all the emotion and fire that you would see sometimes from a leader.
1: You haven't seen Charlie Blackman get rung up on a strike he disagrees with, uh, and that's that's totally fine. Uh, Charlie Blackman is a vocal leader, and and you hear there's a lot of people. People ask me all the time, is, "Is Charlie Blackman being traded?" and and I answer with a resounding no. This is basically when you, I think, for a lot of Rockies fans, he is the next reincarnation of Todd Helton when it comes to Mister Rocky. Full career here, came up with the system. He's played every year. The injuries have been a bit of a factor an incredible, uh, you know, mountain man beard. What does he do in the off season? He goes and he fishes. You ask what his play style is. It really is Colorado Rockies baseball nose to the grindstone hits the ball. He played, you know, playing right field, playing outfield and course field. He's uh, he's played left. He's played center. He's played everywhere out there. Uh, and 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 so I, I really think that he is just when you look, for examples of success in Rockies uniforms and a leader for the young guys, Charlie Blackman's it. And now the young guys, what's nice, even as they, because we're, you know, as the Rockies are in the, in the hopefully a transition phase to the next uh, competitive window, the young guys are learning from Charlie Blackman and Chris Bryant. That's a pretty darn good duo to have in your locker room to tell you, Chris Bryant can give you a you know, has the, the, the winning, experience. And Charlie Blackman has the Colorado Rockies experience, which I think are great things. Uh, Charlie Blackman will finish his career in Colorado and no one will wear that number uh, ever again. Uh, But yeah, he is vocal. He's fun. He's he's kind of really every I I think for me when I think Rockies baseball, uh, you know, especially like the the whole my kind of idea of what I think of Rockies baseball and what the uh, the identity they want to create they want Charlie Blackman is the poster child mountain man who loves to hit,
0: <laughs> you know, from the Cincinnati side, you know, a guy that I think's not getting quite enough love yet, but he will is Jonathan India. You know, he, I win, would, that's he comes
1: who, up- he's the guy he, he, be- firecracker that's what when i see him it's the young because i was i was in the cincinnati market uh, before i'm a ohio university graduate proud bobcat here from and uh, lots of ties to cincinnati so i i gotta flex a little i i have a lot of love for this reds team and when i see a player like jonathan india that's what gets me excited
0: So he has demonstrated an ability to overcome some adversity. You know, he comes up uh, unexpectedly, starts from opening day. The Reds didn't play any kind of service time games with him. He wins the National League Rookie of the Year. And then in his sophomore season, he did a couple things. He balked up and tried to become a player that he wasn't. He tried to become a home run hitter. Uh, Also, a lot of freak injuries. He pulled a hammy that he tried to battle through throughout the season. You know how that goes when you try to play through hamstrings. Uh, The Reds had the field of dream games where he gets hit in the shin by a pitch ends up being helicoptered to a hospital because they were worried about compartment syndrome in his leg and he just never was able to get it together the little brief periods in his sophomore season where he was healthy he played decent uh on top of that they traded away everybody they traded right. away Winker, traded away suarez they just traded away sunny gray they traded away luis castillo and trades and trades and trades so Jonathan India comes into this season and decides he is going to be the leader. He embraced it. He grabbed it. He said it. He, he's he's doing it by example. He's doing it with emotion. He's doing it with fire. And, oh, by the way, he's leading off and hitting 300 nearly right now. So he's doing all the things. And I could not be more excited about what he's been able to put together when you couple it with the fact that we have all of this great young talent coming. You know, we've got Matt McLean up now. You guys got the first taste of him in the major leagues. We've got Ellie De La Cruz coming. Christian Incarnacion Strand is coming. There's a lot of great youth that are going to be on this team. The Cincinnati Reds that started the season. On game one on March 31st, are not going to be the Cincinnati Reds that wrap up the season. You know, you talk about possibly contending for a playoff spot. I've said all along that the Reds could stumble, bumble, trip their way into relevancy and maybe a final wild card spot this year. They're they're window to compete starts in 2024, but it could actually happen this year. And I'm, I'm just so excited about this youth movement here. And I was so happy to hear you bring up about the youth of Colorado, because if that's the kind of baseball you like to watch, if you like to watch the young guys out there scrapping and, you know, sometimes they'll have some letdowns and make some mistakes, but that energy, that excitement, that aggressive style of play. If you like that in Colorado, watch a Cincinnati game every once in a while, you won't be disappointed
1: yeah absolutely here and and maybe we can get to this because I, I do have a question for you uh both teams questionable ownership and ownership had some interesting uh comments before last season and I want to know what's changed in Cincinnati and I want to know what's changed for fans and I kind of want to compare a, a, a little bit uh, uh to that but uh maybe maybe a topic for for segment number three.
0: Well, that's right. Why don't we get into that uh, coming up in just a minute. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about the other sponsor of today's podcast. And that is so rare, so rare. Oh, there I clicked my button. Sorry, guys. Lost my track. So rare is a revolutionary fantasy baseball game and marketplace, transforming fans into owners with officially licensed digital cards featuring players from across all 30 Major League Baseball teams. Unlike other fantasy baseball platforms, so rare managers truly own their fantasy experience, collecting, buying, selling and competing with player cards against global opponents to win epic rewards. Win or lose, you still own your cards and there's no cost to play. So rare MLB game weeks happen twice weekly and span three to four days per cycle at the end of the game week. So rare MLB managers who rank at or near the top of their leaderboards win a variety of rewards, which can include so rare scarcity cards, game tickets, merchandise, signed jerseys, and VIP experiences like meeting Major League Baseball stars. Prizes may vary depending on the competition. Head to SoRare.com slash locked on. That's spelled S-O-R-A-R-E dot com slash locked on to draft your team of free player cards, set your lineup, and start competing today to win epic rewards. Again, that's SoRare.com slash locked on to start playing today. All right, don't forget that you can catch every pitch of Reds and Rockies broadcasts with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just download the app and search Reds or Rockies to get your hometown broadcast. All right, we are screaming towards the finish line on this crossover edition of the Locked On Reds and Locked On Rockies podcast. I am joined by Locked On Rockies host, Paul Holden. I'm Steve Offenbaker from Locked On Reds. And you want to talk about ownership. And boy, is that a hot button topic in the city of Cincinnati. So uh, yeah, Phil Castellini, who is actually the son of the Reds owner, Bob Castellini. uh, I lovingly call him uh, SOB, that son (laughs) of Bob. Uh, He said some dumb things last year and, and he's really doubled down on them anytime they put a microphone in front of his face Uh, beginning of last season. You know, he basically challenged uh, the fan base asking them where are they going to go? Uh, in regards to uh, taking baseball away from Cincinnati. Uh, he also famously put together a PowerPoint this last offseason with uh, a group of Red supporters it's called the Rosie Reds. That's the biggest group of fan-based philanthropists that the team has. And in this uh, PowerPoint, the very first slide says, here's why we're out of contention on opening day. It- it's mind-boggling that they still allow this guy to speak in public.
1: Oh, boy. That just sounds... <sighs> So I guess my question is, is, are, is the team showing a little bit of a sign of life? I mean, the worst frustrating thing for Rockies fans is they have never fully crafted and stuck to an identity. They had one. They never built around it. They, the, the, the famous trade. The big part, my biggest concern going back with that is you make that big trade, but the GM that oversees it will slinks away in silence two months later. And now you're doing these things and now you're rebuilding and now you're well, they won't rebuild. That's another thing. The team never uses the phrase rebuild or anything. And so it's starting to come together right now for the Rockies, but their hands being forced to be played because they don't have any other choice but to play these young guys due to the injuries they're suffering this year. I don't necessarily think the Rockies would be committing to all these young guys quite yet. They'd be throwing Mike Mustakas and stuff out there and, and be happy with that. And so I'm I'm curious, are you confident in or getting more confident in the Reds seeing these exciting young guys? Does that make you feel more confident that the the organization knows a little bit more than than just what one guy is saying? How does are you more encouraged this year versus last?
0: Oh, I'm a whole lot more encouraged this year versus last. Here's why Uh, as bad as Phil Castellini is, uh, you know, he is the son of the owner, Bob Castellini, but Bob Castellini, you know, is, is gotten up there in years and has taken much more of a hands-off approach than he ever has before Phil's running a lot more things Uh, that being said as dumb as the things are that Phil says he has brought in his baseball people and he's letting his baseball people baseball he's basically setting a budget and letting them do what they got to do within that budget so all those trades that we saw last year was Phil Castellini telling the GM Nick Kroll you have to get to this dollar amount I don't care how you do it. And then Nick Kral went out and did a fantastic job trading away some top flight talent, but getting a lot in return. Uh, Nick crawl has this plan that they're not going to play service time games. I, I think they're doing a little bit of manipulation around the super two status right now uh, in order to avoid that. And, you know, cause that'll save a lot of money if you avoid it with all of these youngsters. I think that's why we're seeing a slow rollout, but I have no doubt in my mind that we will see these youngsters. That is the plan. They're going to be much more like what Tampa has done in the past, where you sign a couple that you can, you trade the rest with about two years of availability, and you just keep constantly stocking the minor leagues, constantly churning the roster with great, young, talented players. And you can win a lot of baseball games that way. And you can do it for not $450 million like the New York Mets. So I am excited. I think that there's a window coming in Cincinnati where 2024, 2025, 2026, they're going to be in the conversation every one of those seasons for winning the division, winning the pennant, and make going to the world series that's how excited i am about the youth movement currently underway in cincinnati
1: i wish i could say the same because that's a team that wasn't afraid to trade the rockies there is no big replenish of prospects from shedding these players that you let go Uh, you didn't bring them back so if that was your plan uh, Rockies lose John Gray and Trevor Story. They get one draft pick for it. They lose Carlos Estevez this off season, Nothing for it. They make they haven't made any moves uh, outside of small minor moves at the deadline, and and I want I believe in these young guys, but there there is not a top twenty five, top thirty pitching prospect in the Rockies minor league system right now that is past Triple A or, or, or like Double A ball ready right now. I mean they're two years old, which is fine. But you haven't done enough to build around that. And and how effective are you going to be when Chris Bryant – it's another season for Chris Bryant. Charlie Blackman's towards the end of his career. What are you going to do with Ryan McMahon with with some of these young guys that you have coming up that play his position? I mean, if Ryan McMahon can't hit but plays defense, and on the flip side, the big prospect in the Aaron trade, who's supposed to be on the team right now anyway, but sent him down due to poor defensive start to the year, he's bad at defense, but he can hit better than you. How long do we really want to commit to the Ryan McMahon thing and uh, uh, going for that? So I I just think the Reds fans can feel a little more confident because, as tough as seeing those trades are, it makes sense because of where the Reds were going. Whereas the Rockies were sitting here and saying, hey, as much as we don't want it, you got to trade CJ Crohn when he's a borderline all star or when he is an all star. You got to trade. Uh, you know the, these players. Uh, you got to trade Jose Iglesias last year. What are you? Why is Jose? He's not. Why is he playing on the team still? If CJ Crone, Mike Mustakis, and uh, you know these uh, uh, other veterans are taking time from the Rockies' youngsters this year, that's a failure after the deadline. You can you can try to fight now, but I don't. I don't think the Rockies are going to bump and f- and flip and flop their way into a third wild card spot because their division's way better. I mean that is one thing the Reds do get the benefit of.
0: Oh, the man, Central's a
1: mess. <laughs> it's a hot mess.
0: Nobody, it's it's not who it's it's who wants to lose the least. It's not who wants to win. That division is a train wreck. And before we get out of here, I, I just want to ask you because it just drove me bonkers. And I, from a Rockies perspective, how hard was it for you watching Nolan Arenado play third base for the Cardinals, knowing that the Rockies were paying for him? It just it, it drove me crazy. Yeah, I mean, Reds fans can relate
1: to it. it it's it's Honestly, been a, a tremendous disappointment to me personally. I, I, they've signed him. They got the, I mean, Arenado's a top five player in, in baseball, I'm MVP finalist last year. I mean, and then when you look at the deal and when you look at everything again, it's not the, the Cardinals should have had to trade the farm. I'm talking draft picks. I'm talking four top prospects. That guy's a Hall of Famer. A person. If you ask me, and I'm completely, Arenado is going to go down as the greatest third baseman of all time. He's been the quickest third baseman to go and get to a thousand RBIs. He's won the gold glove every single year he's played. And now I'm on the other side of the gold glove is political and and stuff. But (laughs) I mean, this is, this is elite. He's an elite level talent and the Rockies didn't get elite level talent back. And it signaled you the, the end It, it, Trevor story's gone. DJ LeMay, who led the playoff Rockies are gone. Charlie Blackman's out there and the pieces from the rotation are still there. But the competitive, good team. I mean, it's 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 something I say is I haven't gotten over. I get over it a little bit more, but it burns you a little bit more. But also at the same time, uh, Cardinals aren't doing too well, so which we love should, to see. You know, I, I but to put a bow on it, I have always been in the Arenado camp. I think the Rockies' ownership mismanaged that. I think Jeff Breidich should have been the. He will go down as my least favorite. Rockies thing ever. I, I think Jeff Breidich is completely squandered an opportunity to completely change the narrative about baseball in Colorado and the Colorado Rockies. And instead, he you took his ego and what he thought was more important than the team and didn't invest, didn't buy in, didn't go and sign free agents to build around Arenado, like he said, uh, to, to make this team as good as it was. Because again, this was a team that was one game away that lost to the Dodgers in a tiebreaker game. And they, I mean, the infield of the Rockies in the playoffs was Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, DJ LeMahieu. All you needed to do was go find CJ Crone two years early and just put him over there on first base and you would have been fine. Uh, but uh, I, I could go on. But I hope that A. Montero is awesome and Austin Gomber unfortunately wasn't great in his final start there against the Reds but he's been really open and honest about how difficult being a part of that trade has been for him. And after he said that he went out and had four really great starts in a row. So I want to root for Gomber and I am rooting for Montero, but I will never not be critical of the front office for that move.
0: Well, listen, if you're a baseball fan, I, you heard it here, Reds fans. We're looking ex- exciting nationwide, and for the Rockies, they're trying to right the ship, but there is some exciting youth there. You know, as I said a few minutes ago, if you enjoy that type of electric baseball, make sure you're tuning into both the Rockies and the Reds feeds, and that's gonna do it for us today on this crossover edition of the Locked On Reds and Locked On Rockies podcast. Uh, make sure you have clicked those subscribe buttons because we're gonna be out working hard to gather up all the information all the rumors, all the transactions, and bring all that information right back here to keep you locked on Reds and locked on Rockies every single day. We'll catch you next time.